This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. Today, we're really excited to catch up with former NFL defensive lineman and now UBS's head of sports and entertainment, working with some of his old colleagues, teaching them all about money, managing their wealth, etc. We're talking about Adewale Ogunleye. And guys, a huge amount of news in the world of sports this week, starting with a big, big settlement in the world of women's soccer. And the game's opening up. Rosa foul. Lovely run. Great goal. Brilliant goal! Rose Lavelle might have won the World Cup for the United States! So we do know, of course, that they did go on to win the World Cup. The U.S. women's national team uh, celebrated widely, but as we came to learn, and maybe not surprisingly, not exactly on pay parity. That, in some form or fashion, is beginning to change Lynchy, a big settlement in a very high-profile case this week. Well, they didn't uh, get the equal pay yet. They're gonna. They're, they're still appealing that, but they do have. Uh, they're on par and they're uh, on equal footing now with the men in hotel staffing, venue, and travel. Uh, something that was a a big thorn in their side. And when I read this story, more than the money jumping out at me was I was thinking about the year 2020 and what a tumultuous year it has been for a number of reasons. And so many voices that have been muted for decades and centuries. We're finally heard in 2020, and this is one of those voices, and there has been a response to that voice, and there's been a response to a lot of voices on a lot of other issues during this calendar year. So I know that they're appealing uh, for equal pay. Uh, they're searching for somewhere in the vicinity of $65 million in back pay, but I think this is a giant step forward for, for women's soccer. Yeah, certainly felt like a victory bar when you think about candidly the optics of it all and i mean there are things that now are negotiated in uh rightly and in my opinion like you get to play on grass i mean it seems crazy to think about but these are the sorts of things that they just didn't have access to forgive me for saying it like this i don't know why in the hell we are having this problem in 2020 yeah i mean this is crazy and and, and i mean come on y'all out there this this is Everybody divvy up the pie 50-50, women's sports, men's sports, and and that's it. I mean, I, I'm getting sick and tired of this. And, and I, I'm speaking from a guy who had a family full of strong women. And I, I don't get it. Sorry, I'm ranting, but rightfully so. So, Lynchy, I do think it's interesting, you know, when you look at the economics of of all of this and you look at men's soccer versus women's soccer, you know, the argument on the other side of the equal pay argument is that the sponsorship money, the gate money, all of that is just much bigger on the men's side globally, certainly. 
I think mm. part of where the argument starts to really trip up, especially here in the United States, I'm just going to say it, the men's team, not very good. The women's oh. team, <laughs> world champions, and drawing a huge amount of interest and eyeballs. And ultimately, I think winning and winning like they did on such a big stage ultimately made the argument much more compelling. I mean, setting aside, Barr, you're exactly right. I think we all agree sort of fundamentally with, with what you're saying. But ultimately, the money aspect of this, the treatment aspect of this, was pushed forward dramatically by just winning on the field. And it's not the first time they have won either. And right. the, the, the interest in the United States women's team far exceeds the interest in the United States men's team within this country, within yes. our borders. Uh, and little girls could name five or ten members of the U.S. women's national team. I don't think so little could boys little boys. Could th- that's the, and yeah, to yeah, me, that's yeah. one of the most fascinating things, too, is yeah. that I think your everyday sports fan, candidly, is going to talk about Megan Rapino long before he or she is going to talk about, you know, a you know, they're going to go back in their mind and be like, eh, does Landon Donovan still play? You know, I mean, they're going to be, yeah. be going, it's like, is David Beckham American? I mean, th- th- there's a lot that just is, has been accomplished, I think, not just on the on the sporting field, but culturally on, on the part of the uh, of the women. So, uh Here's hoping that this continues forward, but a big step, as we said, when it comes to getting toward closer and closer toward equal treatment, the money, the pay, obviously still there, as you point out, Lynchy, on the table. So speaking of big money, guys, obviously we all know that the biggest money in college sports, aside from college football, comes from college basketball. Tens of millions of dollars on the line every year and to be made not just in the big tournament, but in the conference tournaments. And we discovered something when we spoke with Val Ackerman, the commissioner of the Big East, about what they had done in anticipation of something like this happening. I would say the good news for our league is that we did have insurance um, that covered the cancellation of the Big East tournament. Um, so we were protected there. We've got a really strong policy that's in effect for the next two years. That coverage is really hard to find, but we had it. And I nearly fell off my chair when Val Ackerman revealed that to us on July 23rd of this summer. I mean, who has the foresight to get an insurance policy that will protect you against communicable diseases or a pandemic? I mean, most people, you know, never use the word pandemic in their entire lives until this March. And here's the Big East with the foresight. And not only are they made whole, pretty much whole, get a, collecting $10.5 million on this insurance policy, but it has two more years to run. So they're protected through 2021 and 2022 should this uh, pandemic not be eradicated. I mean, I shouldn't make light of this bar, but it feels like one of those things where whoever sold them that insurance policy probably went back to the office and bought a round of drinks for everybody. It was like, guess what? I just got <laughs> oh, the Big East to buy. Yeah, I got them to buy the pandemic cloth. Can, can you, you imagine that? It? It's like, you know, getting the undercoat, man, for your car. And, and it's exactly. like until you have a big winter storm and here comes the salt. And, yeah. and all of a sudden, bam, here it is. It, it's it, it, And I have to agree with you, Lynchy. It's like when, when she said that, I'm like, Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, and bless your heart because that you know when you had the foresight to think about that, and lo and behold, here it is, and yeah. it's it's totally amazing to me. 
So, which leads us to the obvious question, and you alluded to it, Lynchy, which is, so what happens in the spring of 2021? We don't know about conference tournaments. We are just getting underway with some semblance of the college basketball season. What we do know is that there is reportedly a plan to stage March Madness because, again, there are tens of millions of dollars on the line for the teams involved in, importantly, for the NCAA. But, and this is a word we probably never used in this form or fashion until 2020, it's going to be bubbled. So, Lynchy, <laughs> uh, we're going to be, once again, on the outside looking in. The bubble this time, Indianapolis, a very familiar place for the NCAA tournament. And you know what? I, I spent uh, 10 days there for a Super Bowl. I spent five th- days there one time for a uh, AFC championship. And at the same time that was going on, there was a cheerleading convention going on for 10,000 cheerleaders. And this city handled it like none other. And remember, they handled the Indianapolis 500 every year. So they have no problem handling large crowds. And they have some great venues right in the, within the city of Indianapolis. They have Lucas Oil Stadium, Banker's Life with the Pacers play. Um, they have a Farmer's State uh, uh, Coliseum. Uh, they have the University of Indianapolis. And then within 75 miles, you've got Indiana, you've got Indiana State. Um, right. Hinkle Fieldhouse is there. So, And remember, they're not going to be staying there for like 90 days like the NBA. Right. By, on that first weekend, 64 teams are going to come in. And by Sunday night, only 16 are going to be left. That's right. So uh, so I, I think it's, it's a perfect place to, to have this. And uh, it is the Hoosier State. The Final Four is scheduled to be at Lucas Oil Stadium this year anyway. And I think uh, this is a slam dunk. Uh, they just will uh, get on the phone with the NBA and the National Hockey League, have them find out how it worked for them, and just apply the same principles uh, this, this spring to March Madness in Indianapolis. It'll be interesting to see, too, uh, Barr, that you know by that point maybe the vaccine is a little more widespread you know maybe they have some fans at select locations or at least some friends and family allowed in it'll it'll be notable to see before we move on though bar can i just point out that lynchy you know it's very subtle the way he does this he's like oh yeah i spent some time there (laughs) for the afc championship and the super bowl it's like yeah we get it we get it you covered the patriots the patriots are really good at football you know it's very subtle the way he does it's I a, you met know, uh, you know. Prince it's William and Kate uh, the other day, guys, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and they said, yeah. Well, I've spent quite a bit of time in Indianapolis, <laughs> as a matter of fact. Yeah. Lovely city. Lovely city. They do a great job with high-class football, in any case. Um, no, I'm excited. Listen, I love college basketball. We talked about the Big East. I'm a Georgetown guy. Um and I think March Madness is it, – it, it's the sort of thing, Bar, that will make us feel something close to normal again, even if it's in a bubble, the fact that you know those teams can get on. And, and not for nothing, we want these college kids to play. You know why – and I know this might sound silly – why this feels hopefully normal? Because you're going to have March Madness going on at the same time of the NBA – yeah, and 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 it'll be a fresher season because they're going to kick off on uh, later this month for the NBA. But still, I, I, I like that where you have you know both sports going, both hoops, collegiate and the pros going at the same time. I always enjoyed it. So when a lot of college basketball got knocked out earlier this year, uh, I, there was a sense of loss that I felt. So I'm glad to see it back. 
I'm Jason Kelly, along with Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. And today, our guest, Adewale Ogunleye. Emil Jones into the slot, snap to Breeze, pocket closes, hit in the chest, and down he goes! Adewale Ogunleye came up with the ball as well. All right, well, you heard it there. This is a guy who has been on the field of battle now, taking on a little bit of a different task. Former NFL defensive lineman, now UBS's head of sports and entertainment business for Wealth. Uh, Wale, really nice to have you with us. Thank you, man. I appreciate that, man. I almost ran downstairs and put my helmet on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's going on? So, yeah, that's good stuff. Thanks. So when you hear something like that and you think about mm-hmm. where you are now, like how does it all sort of fit together in your mind? Oh, man, it's it's amazing, man. I wish, you know, I have two young kids and, and I wish they would understand, you know, I'm, I have a, a th- th- three-year-old son and it's and my days of battling are, of just trying to get him to, to be potty trained. So um, <laughs> it, 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 I'm well removed from it. But, you know, this new, this new I guess, I want to say path that I'm taking, um, it has its own, you know, struggles and, and, and things that I have to work on to make sure that, you know, uh, I'm doing the right thing for our, our, our clients and, and prospects and, and really the industry as a whole, just trying to change things up. So uh, it's a new career, but it, it's, it's daunting, but it's, it's, it's going to be fun and, uh, and challenging at the same time. Well, before we went on the air, you said that, and you very kindly said, if anytime you need me, just I'll come running. And as a former demon, don't demon, don't come running at me because I'm not a small guy. And if you hit me, the next thing you know, people will be saying is, well, you know, I remember when Michael had a thought and, yeah. that, was, and that was it. The transfer that you made from the NFL to what you're doing now, you are with uh, UBS and uh, you've done your director of the head of sports and entertainment division. Uh, take right. us through that and what that's all about. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, you know, it really just came from, you know, after I had got done playing, you know, sports, you know, I graduated from Indiana University, uh, played in the NFL for 11 years, and, and towards the end of my career, I just realized that I just didn't have the basic fundamentals of finances, right? And and, and I've thought about it as, you know, it's not that I'm not intelligent. One, I've got a degree, right? Um, two, you know, for the last 10 years, I've, I've memorized and studied, you know, offenses and my playbook and, and was able to, to change on, on, on a whim from week to week. Uh, but just the fact that I didn't understand, you know, simple things like what a basis point was, and I had already, you know, millions of dollars in the bank, you know, led me to, to go down this path of educating myself. So I went and got my MBA just so I can understand just the simple basics of it. And just realize that, you know, this is probably the reason why a lot of our high-profile uh, entertainers and athletes get in trouble. We just don't know um, what the language of money is. And I think our institutions have to do a better job of, of bringing that level of understanding to the client. And um, that's what my goal at here at the firm is, get our FAs to, to speak the language of our clients and not vice versa. And I think, I think that'll be a great start for us. And we'll get away from those headlines of, you know, of, you know, so-and-so losing, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars because of, um, because of, because of not knowing. And, um, uh, I'm excited that they, they gave me the keys and I'm going to try to, to fix some things around here. Looking over your resume and your past, uh, you uh, have a couple of self-admitted mistakes investment-wise in a housing uh, deal in Miami and a Ponzi scheme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Knowing what you know now and where you are now, what red flags should you have seen when you were approached for these investments? 
Wow, that's a good question. You know, what I know now, um, I guess I would have been able to ask ask the right questions, like, you know, who's getting paid and how are you getting paid in this deal, right? You know, the simple thing is someone might tell me, well, I'm not getting paid, but, you know, KP, you know, I don't want to tell you a name, but let's just, uh, the random Wale management uh, getting paid, right? And and then, the, so the truth of the matter is, individually, that person might not be getting paid, but, you know, that person owns Wale management. So, you know, the ways of not understanding exactly, you know, who is benefiting, because there's so many people who have their hands in these celebrities and these athletes' pockets, it's really, really hard to see, you know, who's really out for the betterment of, of, that, of, of their clients. So uh, if I had to look back again, I would ask more questions. But really what I would do is I would have educated myself, and I would have not, you know, made any investments until I truly, truly understood what I was getting into. And while I take us into sort of the early days in, in, in a locker room when it comes to business, because, you know, you and I have you more than I obviously have have experience with the NFL in terms of, you know, what they're trying to do for players, what teams are doing. But ultimately, so much of it is learned behavior, what your peers are doing, what the older guys in the locker room are saying uh, when it comes to business. How do you sort of change that mentality so that, you know, players are sort of talking to each other in a more sophisticated way, maybe about the business side of themselves. Yeah, that's great. I think, you know, it's so crazy when we're in the locker room, you know, when it came to business and money management, you know, that was some of the stuff that we rarely talked about unless it was, you know, someone trying to get us to get into a deal. Right. Um, And uh, we are learning by just seeing, you know, when I got into the league, I saw my locker room was filled with, you know, cars of Mercedes-Benzes and Ferraris and, and, and Lamborghinis. And in my head, I'm thinking, like, well, when I get my money, that's what I got to get. Uh, what we've got to do is get these the, the leagues to have these forums and these conversations where players and peer-to-peer, you know, um, conversations of, you know, I took my time. You know, I, I, I made a, a certain amount of money. I invested in a certain amount of money or I saved a ton, a ton of money before I bought that Lamborghini. Um, and, and that's what I think people don't understand. They see this instant gratification of, oh, my gosh, I've got a, a two-week check of, you know, $300,000. I'm rich, but not knowing that, you know, the NFL stands for not for long or the NBA, you know, um, and all these different careers is that the money that you're getting right now has to last um, for a long period of time. Pretty much some people may think that it may last for the rest of their lives. Uh, but the truth of the matter is most NFL players, you know, have a short career and have to find a different career, a second career. So what, what the problem that I'm thinking in the locker room, and, and, and like, like you said, is that we have to do a better job of, of, of speaking the truth, right? Like understanding that this money that we have, if I'm buying this Lamborghini, maybe I bought it because I've, I've saved a certain amount. Maybe I did the 50-30-20 rule or something that I did to now I can say I can buy it. Um, and I don't think we have enough of those conversations. The, the ways that we're influencing each other are all the wrong ways, right? Like keeping up with the Joneses and right. wanting to make sure that I look just as good as um, the, my next teammate or the guy in the locker room next to me. Well, I'm a starter on, on defense, and, uh, you know, Jason Taylor has a, a, a Mercedes-Benz. Well, why don't I have a Mercedes-Benz? So um, we've got to get out of that mentality. And until we sit down with the leagues and – and encourage peer-to-peer, peer-to-peer uh, encouragement of 
doing it the right way, slowing it down, um, and really looking at yourself as an entrepreneur, as a business, um, we're going to continue to have, have these problems that we're having. Wale, talk to me about getting to UBS specifically. Wall Street, it's a big place. And I wonder sort of what those conversations were like and, and how you end up uh, at that Swiss bank. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, great, great question. So, you know, I, I talked a little bit about my mis- misfortunes of not understanding money, and I ran through a few advisors at the time, and finally, I, you know, I stumbled against some advisors that were working at UBS and really were looking at me not as an athlete. I felt like the first time that I didn't have, like, a fan, you know, giving me advice on what I should do with my money. So I decided to do a little more digging and, and realized that I love their approach of looking at me as an entrepreneur and not as a football player. Um, and, and looking at it maybe as someone who, uh, like a lottery winner or someone who might have sold their, their small business and now has this, you know, big windfall of money, and how do we strategize and, and make this money run? And I love that approach. And I said, you know, to, to, to the advisors, I said, let me, let me figure this out. But I think you guys might have something here that the entertainment and, and, and athlete world needs more of, of advisors that think of their clients only and solely as individuals that are entrepreneurs that want to give back to the communities and may have a huge community, you know, behind them. They agreed, and we had talks about, you know, knowing what what was needed. And and to be honest with them, I you know, I sat in a room with, with you know, the senior management. I just explained to them, like, you guys have to have somebody that's been through it, right, that's done it um, and, and can relate to the players and, and, and the, the, the entertainers in a way that you guys can't, right? I, I, you guys are great at what you do. You're one of the biggest wealth manager, managers in the world, uh, but there's just some things you just won't be able to understand. And, um, and, and I think if you find someone to help, you know, lead the way, uh, UBS is going to be a difference maker in this space. And then we sat about this. This was over a three-year conversation. You know, we got back and forth, back and forth. And finally, they were like, listen, instead of us looking for somebody, we think we got the guy in you. Why don't you take it, run with it, and um, make this thing um, in your vision? And um, I give them credit. They, they've given me the keys. And I started from, you know, sometime early in, in January, and I've just been building this thing out. And my goal is to to to. to use the tools that UBS uses with their billionaire clients, right? Some of the biggest and, and brightest, wealthiest entrepreneurs and businessmen and women in the world with the athlete entertainer segment. Um, but what we have to do, though, is understand who our clients are, understand where they're coming from, and looking at them as, um, as, 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 as different as they are but special. Um, and that is where we're going to be different. Do you go out to the athletes, like uh, in the NFL uh, or any of the major sports, and and talk to them in a in a forum? Hey, guys, especially the rookies, this is what you need to do with your money and the right way to invest. Do, do you guys do something like that? Have you done that? Yeah, well, we you know we're in the process of doing that. I've, I've reached out to all of the major leagues and let them know that. You know, I'm here. I mean, it's, and the, the the sad part about it is, there's many institutions that have done this before and still allow some of the the the, I guess the wayward 
uh, advisors in, in, inside and in still seeing some of the headlines and lawsuits with advisors at some of these big firms, and I'm just not showing how these guys are continuing to, to slip through the cracks. Um, but w- what I want to do is get with the rookies, which I'm working with the NFL now and working with trying to get you know partnerships with everybody else, um, but trying to get them early and keeping them engaged. Because spe- you know, when you're speaking um, finance, sometimes it's like speaking a different language. Yeah. So let's make this simple. Let's make this uh, into a place where you're talking to somebody that has no clue on what the jargon of money is, right? And um, I even say, let's take it further. You know, I did a financial literacy course last week with Mark Cuban and and, and Cody Zeller, who plays in the NBA at, at Indiana University. And we started with the college students. We started with the freshman class of the simple class of just budgeting, right? Simple, just something that will spark the the knowledge or spark something in their minds and say, you know, eventually, even if I don't make it professionally, I've got to understand that budgeting plays a big part in, in my finances and my future. And I, I think, you know, you, you bring up a good point about starting with the rookies, but I say let's go further. Let's start at the collegiate level. And um, we're going to do that. And hopefully this is going to be something that our competitors want to do the same thing. And we start changing the way the whole industry looks at the athletes, right, if we, if we do it that way. So I'm excited to have, have that opportunity and the resources to do that. Well, in another life, I was a substitute teacher, and I wouldn't let the kids have a, a study hall. I had to show them how to balance a checkbook on the blackboard. And, and I oh God, how... you must have been like the, the <laughs> least popular substitute teacher in oh, all of Massachusetts. God, no, not uh, Mister Lynch's not class. <laughs> but yeah. I was stunned. Like you know, I would put like you know, show, I said, okay, you subtract thirty-five dollars of electricity. How much do you have left over? And I get these blank mm-hmm. stares looking at me, and and these. Days, uh, I, I did some work with a local bank up here on a financial literacy program, and um, I just think it's. Do you think it should be part of the curriculum of of high schools and colleges to prepare people before they get to let's their profession, whatever it is, but specifically that the, uh, a professional athlete? Absolutely, because by the time they get to the league, it's too late. Almost, it's almost too late to start. Because, you know, coaches don't want players thinking about anything but sports. And then the players think if you start thinking about anything but sports. And then egos get involved. And no one wants to be honest and say that I don't know anything. I don't know a damn thing of what you just said. Right? So then I just keep nodding my head. Right? Yes, yes. I know what basis points is. I know what you're charging me. I know what uh, carried interest is. Yes, yes. And the truth of the matter is I don't know. And um, so by the time it even gets, we get to the pros or you're on stage, you know, singing that most popular song, um, it's too late. So why not have this be a part of um, the educational process? It's it's a huge tool to help people, especially in um, lower communities and, and in some demographics that are struggling to, to make it. If you give them the opportunity to understand how money really works at at, at a young age, mm-hmm. you're giving them a. a you're giving them an advantage, and then hopefully that will transfer over, over into their adulthood. And um, so the stuff that you said that you did with those kids were basically the same thing that we're doing with college students. So um, I, I totally would, would back you know it being a part of our curriculum. So while I, I you know we've sort of been dancing around this a little bit, and and I want to get into it. This notion that 
much more is expected uh, of athletes these days, and maybe rightfully so when it comes to managing their finances, managing their public presence. So much has changed, it feels like. You were probably part of the generation for for whom it changed. So how do you get your head around that? How do you advise players? Because I would imagine that when you're talking to them about their money, you know, money is such an intimate thing and and you're really talking to them about their entire lives. How have you seen the the attitude change around seeing themselves as sort of a business and a brand? Yeah, you know, I think the that's a great question. And I think the the difference has been social media. I think that has created um, the the opportunity for. Uh, um, companies and uh, to reach directly out to um, the, the the athlete. The athlete at first thought, you know, I have this opportunity to get my message out without it being filtered through media channels and, ES, you know, the ESPNs of the world. And you can go out there and say what you mean. But what has happened is, you know, these corporations have, have basically reverse engineered it and said, this might be an opportunity to us to, for us to get directly to the athlete or to the entertainer and then pushing out the middleman. And what has happened now is the, the, the athlete now has seen he or she has been able to capitalize on their 15 minutes of fame, right? And, and use that as an opportunity to be uh, an entrepreneur, even off, off the field, off the court. You see it already on TV. You know, that this, the, the, everyone's, you know, being a celebrity and everybody wants to do that. But in this space, it's almost the easiest way to make a little bit more money um, outside of your salary. And, and athletes and entertainers are realizing, like, I've got the power in my two thumbs, right? All I have to do is send a couple pictures out, send a couple replies out, and and get fans to respond. And, you know, business deals and corporations want to do business with me. So... That's the, the biggest element I think we have to have. But I think from their perspective, though, they still have to look at their their income and, and their expenses in, in, in a way that I like to – the thing that we use over at UBS is called the wealth way, right? The liquidity, longevity, and legacy. You know, l- liquidity is money that you have right now. Longevity is for the long-term needs. And legacy is for needs that maybe be beyond you, like for your community or for people that you want to – things you want to leave behind. So – Things are moving, but, you know, as, as they move, still things need to stay the same because those are the, I might say, think those three things that um, we all have to, to focus on no matter the era or um, time that we're in. What is the number one thing you wish you knew before your first NFL contract? Honestly, I wish I would have read the, the fine print. You know, I, I did not know, but they had put a clause in there about, if I didn't play in a game the first year, that that year basically wouldn't have counted. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wouldn't have counted towards my pension. It wouldn't have counted towards a whole bunch of stuff, right? And it wouldn't have counted towards my me becoming a free agent. So not to go too deep in the woods, I, I would implore every athlete uh, or, or entertainer or even regular, when you're signing your name on a contract, Read the fine print um, because these contracts may have things that benefit the the owners or the your boss. And if I would have saw that, if my agent would have saw that at the time, was the reason why I fired him, um, I would have you know been in a much 
much um, had had more advantage in, in when I was looking to sign a new contract. So I, I wish I would have read the fine print, and that goes with everything. You know, read everything that you're signing, read everything that you're getting involved with, um, and if you don't understand, don't do it. You mean if you would have missed a game because of injury, you would have been in that same situation that you talked about? Yeah, pretty much. And that's and also that's a good story. That's a good thing. Segue to to what's going on with COVID now, right? I'm sure these new contracts after this COVID are going to have some type of uh, clause in there that if you get sick for COVID, you may not have you may not get paid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would advise everyone from now on, especially with the COVID crisis even though it may get behind us in a year or so, that I would see, you know, people putting these in, in, in people's contracts that if you get COVID, which would be no fault of your own, you don't get paid, right? Um, so I would I would implore people, especially if you're not a superstar, to read all of your contracts. Wally, uh, picking up on COVID here, um, in your new role right now with sports and entertainment business, um, Gaining the trust of, of, of a client, obviously, is important. And a face-to-face meeting, I mean, that's how you gain the, the trust of the senior management people at UBS because you sat in a room with them for a long, long time. Right. How do you gain the trust trust of, of, of a potential client now when you can't sit down face-to-face with them? Well, what you do is you just do the work. Just continue to just do the work and, and, and not fall into the trap of, you know, throwing – flash and, and, and glitz at, at people, right? Say that, like I told you, you know, we were at Indiana University with, you know, over 200 student athletes um, on, a Zoom, on Zoom calls. Uh, are we going to get anything from that? Probably not. Is that going to move our bottom line? Probably not. But what it's doing, though, is it's, it's, it's showing the world that we're going to do the work that it, that it needs. Yes, we're as big as it gets when it comes to wealth management, but we're going to get on the ground and push financial literacy and financial education because we know that the smarter that our clients are, the more knowledge they have um, before they make it big or before they get these huge salaries, the better clients they'll be for us down the road. So it does, you know, Sting, especially for me, to, to actually get in front of, you know, especially being an African-American male at UBS, getting in front of people and realizing that, you know, we're, we're here to do this. Um, but I think it's a great opportunity for me to sit down and do exactly what I need to do to build this thing up. And, 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 and when people look and, and can see what we're doing, I think it's going to be more sustainable than, than, the, than the glitz and glamour that we have that I see a lot of our competitors doing. Well, I, I, you know, it's interesting since the last time we talked, I've, I've been thinking about this, that obviously you now view this whole endeavor of being a professional athlete much more holistically. And you're thinking about, as we've been discussing, uh, athletes and entertainers as brands. But I also imagine that you are thinking about the game of football differently as a business in and of itself. And I feel like all of us who care about the game have been watching it pretty closely and all the tough decisions that have to be made by teams and by the league around COVID and to play or not to play and fans or no fans. How do you, from you know now just a little bit of distance, how do you assess what's happened with the league this year and, and sort of the decisions that have to be made? Because ultimately, it is a business. I mean, this is one of the biggest single businesses certainly when it comes to sports in, in the entire world 
Oh, man. You know, it, what it does, you know, it's twofold for me. I always knew it was a business, but it makes me look back um, at people like Dennis Rodman or even Chad Johnson at the time. And people go like, these these guys are are, are, are distractions. Yeah. But I look back now, I'm like, no, they were actually smart. This is a business. At the end of the day, it's a business. And the owners see it as a business. The networks see it as a business. The only people that don't see it as a business are the fans and the players, right? And the only problem with that is the fans, I mean, the players get put in a position where it, it feels like it's us against the fans, and it's not that, right? It's got to be, I've got to make the right decisions for what I have um, for now so that I can maximize my earnings. And you fast forward to, to let's say, the De- Denver game. I think it was Denver-New Orleans game last yeah. week. No quarterbacks, and we still played the game. Um, that in itself shows you how big – how big of a business the NFL is. They're going to keep it moving regardless. They need the TV uh, revenue. That, that that has to come in. Um, and and if, if, if players don't understand that, you're doing yourself a, dis, a disservice. And, and, and don't take things personal. Um, have that resolved and know that this is a business and I got to do what's best for me and my business. And the NFL is always going to do what's best for the NFL. There's, there's no if ands, buts about it. And uh, that, that Denver-New uh, Orleans game is a prime example of it. The game today with Pittsburgh and, and Baltimore Ravens is another example of it. Really, the truth of the matter is maybe that game should be canceled, but it won't. We yeah. continue to, to, to postpone it because no one wants to, to lose money. And um, it, the, the sooner that the, a player realizes that, the better. So I want to draw some connective tissue, which I think is important to point out, which is that if you think about that lesson, which I mean, you've identified something so important, and then you couple that with what we all saw over the summer in terms of this national, and we talk about it on the show all the time, this sort of national reckoning with racial injustice and inequality Sports really came to the fore in many ways, and there was a realization, it feels like, and I want you to keep me honest here, on the part of players of, wait, hold on a second, I'm the product in in many cases as an athlete, and I need to sort of look at this maybe in a different way. Do you agree with sort of that assessment that that is one of the the sort of elements of 2020 that has maybe forever changed our relationship with sports? Absolutely. I, I think there was definitely a reckoning, and, and, it's, and it's led by, you know, some of our, our biggest and brightest stars. They, you know, it, it, I felt like there has been periods where our athletes have, have stepped up, and then there's periods where, you know, no one wanted to rock the boat on any side, right? But I think this new generation of athletes have, have gotten their voice. Again, with regard to social media, that's helped out a lot. But I think the, the 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 biggest problem, though, that I think that players are struggling with is there, there's there's the the heavy hitters like the LeBrons, right, that can sit out games, and then, yeah. and then there's a the guy that barely made the team, and he's trying his best to provide you know a, a legacy for his family, and he needs these games to get a new contract. So it's a fine line um, that I think you're seeing. But I am seeing the, 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 the voices of our athletes and entertainers starting to be heard 
I'm seeing a lot of pushback, especially against politicians and, and fans and, and media who who are, are who get on athletes for, for just not spit, sticking to sports. And I love that. You know, at the end of the day, like I said, we're only playing for 15 minutes. Um, and 15 minutes of fame. That's all you're going to have. And um, a few people like Tom Brady and, and LeBron will have long, long careers. But other than that, man, like, what actually, what do you stand for? Right. What do you want your legacy to be? And, um, and I think what we're going to have here at UBS is we're going to understand that we have to get behind our athletes. Not everybody's going to be put in a box. It's not a cookie cutter type um, plan that we have. It's what do you want to get? What do you want people to remember you as? And um, my goal is to help our clients get there. Now, I, I want to bring up that you are married to the owner of two successful dental practices in South Florida. That's a yep. totally separate thing when you it's more than just investing. Now you're you're running a business. Uh, right. can you take us through that and and what that is like uh trying to to operate a business especially in the covid world? Oh man, and my and they're dentists. So like so, you know, just impersonally like she you know, my wife comes home and she has to basically go go into quarantine for you know and 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 scrub down um and you know she's almost an essential worker because you know she needs to to go in there but it it has been tough you know and there there have been people that have come in you know with covid and, and employees and and having to do we shut down or do we continue to pay our employees during this time and and understanding that not everybody has you know the 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 ability to stay at home and, 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 and homeschool their kids like we do. And we've been blessed. And, but we have a whole, you know, staff of employees that are depending on us opening up every single day. So it was tough. It definitely was. And, um, but the, the, the goal and the key here is to be honest with, with people, try to do the right things. And what we're trying to do is just be safe, right? Go and make sure that everyone's protected and, um, changing things up and, 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 and and, and rolling with the punches. Instead of having people sit in the, the waiting area, now you got to sit in your car. And, and instead of you coming in and touching our iPads, you know, we'll create a system where you can do it on your phone and, and register on your phone. So it, it's been tried. It's been trying. We, we're seeing around not only just our businesses, we're seeing businesses closing. We're seeing restaurants suffer, and, and unemployment levels are still super high. Um, you know, it's, it's tough, but, you know, we're doing our best to, to get things rolling. And hopefully within the next few months, you know, with the hope of this vaccine, um, we'll see things ease up a little bit. Hey, Wally, uh, why does it appear that the NBA has the best business relationship between the players, owners, and commissioner compared to the other three major sports? Yeah, that's a good question. And it, it mind, it's mind boggling to me. I, I really feel like this. There's two two levels of it. I think the NBA has done a good job of hiring former players in executive roles and 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 have an opportunity to coach on a level. I think two, the NBA from uh, from almost inception without having helmets on had the opportunity to uh, a guy like Michael Jordan could was bigger than the league, right? The NFL has done a super good job of keeping helmets on and keeping the shield in front of everybody. And I think that's what's kind of the biggest difference, that the NBA has had players that have morphed into huge international stars and are almost just as popular as the NBA themselves. 
And that, I think, is the biggest difference where the players have a little more power in the fact that their brands are so huge. The NFL brand is the biggest brand in, in, in America. Um, and the reason why they've done that is be, and why is that because they've, they've kept the, 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 the focus on that shield, right? I played, you know, in, uh, almost 10 years ago. It just keeps on moving with or without you, with or without me. If Tom Brady's going to retire soon, or maybe not soon, who knows when. <laughs> the NFL will keep moving. You see a guy like Pat Mahomes coming on through, right? So uh, the NFL has done a great job of keeping the focus on the shield. And the NBA, uh, to their credit, their players have a little more freedom and, and autonomy on how they, they market themselves and, 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 and build their brands. All right. Well, we have had a great time catching up with you. So much to think about, so much to look forward to uh, in many ways. Wale, Ogunle, thank you so much. Uh, great to spend uh, more time with you. You and I got to catch up uh, a couple weeks ago on our Quick Take Network and uh, to be able to go a little deeper here and talk about the news of the day is great. Best of luck to you and uh, keep in touch with us with all your adventures. Thank you so much anytime so guys really interesting to spend some time with them. i mean this is a guy who obviously has a much more as i alluded to toward the end there a much more holistic perspective of what it's like to be an athlete and we know just from being like human adults that like money is at the core of everything business is at the core of everything but i think lynchy sometimes that gets lost uh or has historically when it comes to professional athletes yeah, well, he said that uh, it's hard. The only people that don't think of professional sports as a business are the fans and the players. Yeah. And it, he kept stressing uh, financial literacy, which is a term I've heard uh, over and over the last couple of years. And I liked his three L's. Uh, since my last name begins with L, Lynchy, I'm going to go with uh, his thing of liquidity, longevity, and legacy. Yeah, yeah, I, that was really good. Barr, I, you know, this is a guy who I, I'm guessing – he, I, I don't have to guess, I think he's pretty clear about it, that he's in this position because of mistakes that he made himself. Read the fine print. Yeah. That, it, it hit me square between the eyes. Sometimes I get a little trusting, and I'll just sign something off, and all of a sudden someone says, you want my right what? What is this going on? <laughs> and read the fine print. That That really is something everybody needs to follow because we think we know what we're signing and sometimes we don't. Yeah, different world for those guys. And I liked his perspective too on kind of where the league is. And Lynchy, as you say, just I think a lot of reminders that, uh, as you guys have heard me say probably far too often, it ain't show friends, it's show business. <laughs> All right, let's yeah. get to the number of the week. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. I feel like that guy in that commercial, lucky me, I found unprotected data. Let's see what I can steal. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Under Armour. Announced the launch of the Curry brand with NBA star Stephen Curry. His yep. performance basketball footwear will be out December 11th. Now, they're hoping to compete with Nike and its Michael Jordan brand. Now, here's the question. How much has the Jordan brand brought in for Nike annually? Oh, annually. Okay. In revenue? So, this is basically Jordan brand revenue? This is Jordan brand revenue. I mean, it's got to be in the billions. 
I'm just going to talk this out. I, I just go in blind to these things, but I got I got to talk it through. It's got to be in the billions, right, Lynchy? See, now I'm co-opting you. <laughs> well, see, I'm thinking now since the um, uh, last dance came out, it has to have gone up. Yeah. Uh, I'll say five billion. Uh, I'm going to play that. I'm going to slide underneath you, and the price is right here, and I'm going to go three billion. God, Lynchy needs to be yeah. on the prices right, he man. Really does. Just <laughs> more than three point five billion dollars. Wow. If he said if he said ten, I would have said eight. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of coin. That man. is a lot of coin. Yeah. I mean, I knew it had to be in the billions. And I mean, that's pretty remarkable though, when you think about what that sort of financial and business legacy is and as much as we rightly uh you know talk about lebron and others on this program and obviously he has a sprawling business empire the jordan brand is really something that was lightning in a bottle i mean i think we all remember it from Mm -hmm. being younger men uh you know it just it caught on and then it it has just reinvented itself so many times over the years lynchy I, you know, my son-in-law is a brilliant guy. He went to Tufts. He's, uh, he works for Fidelity. And when um, The Last Dance came out, he went out and bought an, a pair of Air Jordans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so in Michael Jordan, when did he retire? 20 years ago? Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, how many play- players still are, you know, in, in perpetuity, their name or their brand? I mean, years after they're gone. There's Tim Horton's Donuts up in Canada. But, I mean, you know, what, <laughs> <laughs> now what else? Now you're speaking Barr's language. You know, I, I have to say there's only one brand of footwear of the athlete that if you ask anybody today, they wouldn't know. Chuck Taylor is the All-Stars. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those are, the, those are big. And those are big. I didn't even know who Chuck Taylor was back when I was a kid. Right. And they had the the All-Stars. And they were still wear them then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my. Are we out of time? I think we're out of time. I think we're out of time. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Jason Kelly on Twitter at Jason Kelly News, and just apologizing to all of those poor kids in Massachusetts who had to stroll into a classroom and have Mr. Lynchy tell them how to balance their checkbooks. Maybe that's why I only lasted three days at the job. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) And I'm Mike Lynch, still waiting for my prize for winning number of the week, but I won't hold my breath on that one. You can follow me at LynchyWCBB. You know, the nickels, they had bees on them back then. I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Barr Sports. You're listening. (laughs) Let me stop. The Bloomberg Business of Sports and Bloomberg Radio around the world.